Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editor-in-chief of PR Week, and I'm going to guide you gently through the next 30 minutes as we record our weekly show in the company of my co-host, Frank Washkirk, News Director of PR Week. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you, Steve. It's been a while since we've done one of these together. Yeah, maybe we're a little rusty. I've missed you, pal. Really? How have you been? You mean that? Yeah. I'm taking your joke and I'm turning it back <laughs> on you now. Yeah, no, I'm doing okay, thank you. And we're great guests this week. We've got Mike Paul, the reputation doctor. How are you doing, Mike? Thank you very much. I'm doing well. Good. I need good. a little coffee. I've been up a little early, but it's yes. all good. Working internationally. And the and the, the young baby, um, running up to two years old now? William is now uh, two and a half, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, Keeping starting, dad to, on his toes. starting to kick dad in his butt when it comes to football or soccer because I played in high school and college but he's miles ahead of me at two and a half I can tell it's you that. It's good to hear mate and it's good to hear that you're bringing up with the proper sport where you actually use your feet that's right. with the ball you know that's right like the other one but anyway. Well, that's, a, that's that Trini English roots thing we've, that going on there. Yeah. We've uh, beaten that one to death on the podcast and Frank is sick of me talking about it so we'll, <laughs> I've heard it once or twice. Indeed yes. so uh, yes. yeah we'll talk to Mike we'll talk about the Oscars fascinating uh, Oscars this year and uh, yeah interesting stuff interesting films profiled we've there's an op-ed on the site about diversity and investment, DNI. This is from Lynn Applebaum, PR professor at CCMY. We'll talk about that. Robert Kraft, been in a bit of spot of bother, much to the chagrin of uh, one of our web digital gurus, Mickey Brown, behind the dials, big Patriots fan, <laughs> who's now groaning and uh, po- pointing at me as if he's going to punch me afterwards. And we'll talk <laughs> We'll talk about the Cohen testimony as well. Extraordinary week in politics. Um, all around. Well, every week's an extraordinary week in politics these days. So, yeah. And anything else that catches our interest over the next uh, 30 minutes. Mike, let's start with you. The reputation doctor... That is your nom de plume. We've seen you on TV regularly commenting on reputation and crisis issues. But it's also the name of your business as well. Why don't you start by just telling us how that all came about? How did the reputation doctor thing start? You, were, you used to be a, an actor and a, a model, didn't you, back in the many, day? I've many seen you on your Facebook page, mate. Some very, uh, you know, very uh, flashy photos from back in time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Many moons ago and a few pounds ago. <laughs> yeah, well, we were all in that boat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but thank you. Uh, so the Reputation Doctor uh, first started as a nickname back in 1994. I had a uh, corporate client that was a top 10 uh, corporation globally that had a uh, C-suite executive who the company and himself were both in crisis. Um, took a lot of... Uh, crisis counseling to get him on board to a particular idea of doing things differently. And it was a big birthday party that I had after we had helped him through a a major storm. And he, you know, those big birthday cards that kind of like, and it was Superman on the front, but it had a big X through it when I opened it up. And it was blank on the inside, which I thought was unusual. And he wanted to write a note. 
Very moving note, but within it he said, uh, you know, I want to give you a nickname that Superman's already taken, so you're my reputation doctor. And there were some drinks and cake and champagne being thrown around with about 70 people there, and throughout the night people said, Rep Doc! Rep, you know, it stuck. <laughs> um, I had a friend that was in TV who said, you know, the next time you do an interview, you should probably use that. That's a great nickname. Um, so I had it as a nickname for many years, and it became a registered trademark for the old firm, uh, MGP and Associates, before it got, its assets got sold. And then my attorney, who also is a specialist in IP, said, you want to protect it the best way, also make it the name of the company. Got it. So by my counting, that makes it 25 years old. Look at 94. This, this year is 25 years of the reputation, Doctor. Well, 25 years of the nickname. Yeah. But to be clear to people who are unsure, reputation. Uh, MGP and Associates was a firm I had for 19 and a half years. That no longer exists. The assets were sold off. And in February of 2014, we started anew. And this is the fifth year. Just had the fifth year anniversary uh, about a week and a half ago of Reputation Doctor LLC, which gotcha. is the current name of the firm, a new entity. And tell us about the type of work you specialize in. You talk there about high-profile individuals. Um, that's something you specialize in. I guess it means often you can't actually talk about exactly who your clients are, but I don't know if you can mention a few people that uh, listeners might know, but tell us about the sort of work that you do and, and, and hopefully who you've done it for. Well, the bread and butter. So first of all, this is now the second iteration of a virtual firm. In 94 was the first uh, virtual firm, and now this is the second virtual firm, um, which means that I am the brand and I am the focus, but there are senior freelancers that work with me around the, around the world. They're all senior counselors. They all have, on average, you can't work for my organization without at least 10 years of experience in the business. Um, we have everything from former journalists to former government officials, former FBI, CIA, NYPD, state police, um, experts in videography, experts in audio, uh, top photographers, um, those that work in digital advertising, those that work in digital production. Um, who are working with me around the world. The great thing is when we walk into a pitch, I love when people say, oh, one-man shop, only you, and then suddenly six people walk into a pitch. Let's say we're going up against the number one firm in the world, and suddenly you hear people say, who are those other people? And that's the secret sauce, yeah, yeah. Um, being very stealth-like. Our bread and butter is still corporate work, um, which pays the bills and is a great love of the organization. We love working with corporations. Uh, we also work with governments as well as with large NGOs, all of which have major issues and problems happening within them. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, uh, about 35% of the work is with individuals. Uh, they could be a professional athlete, uh, a celebrity in entertainment, um, an Olympic athlete, a wealthy individual. That section of our business continues to grow. Those who are having everything from privacy issues, if you're a billionaire, for example, and suddenly every picture and every email and everything in your life, quantitatively and qualitatively, is suddenly known to the world, that's a, that's a big problem. They have attorneys that are helping them with that. They have forensic accountants and other experts, uh, data and digital experts that are helping them with that. But then they also have to be concerned about the brand because they own major corporations and holding companies, and then every family member 
has a brain. Mm -hmm. So you, you've seen a lot in the 25 years you've been doing this, 25 years plus, right? Mm -hmm. So um, give us an example of how something's changed in the past couple of years, a new case you might have seen or something like that. The biggest change that has happened in the business, especially on the crisis side, and we talk about social media and we talk about digital, but the speed in which any person with a smartphone mm -hmm. could capture a a wrong of any kind, and with the next press of a button, have it sent from here to China in half a second, is what's really changed the game. Mm -hmm. It's changed the news game in a significant way. Excuse me, I just came from something this morning where I was talking to someone high up in, in, in the news business, and they said, Mike, you know, the noon news or the 4 o'clock news we have to be concerned about something that's breaking at 6 a.m. and hope that someone is even going to watch those news broadcasts. 6, 6.30, it's old news by that time. You see a lot of stories now on the 6.30 news on NBC, ABC, and CBS being led by direct social media grabs of the top audience picks of anything that might have been happening that day. Do you tell your clients that there's a certain amount of time that they have to respond to a social media crisis? Like, is it a half hour, 45 minutes? Do you put a time limit on it? No. No? Uh, we say it's quick. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it could be within five minutes, and sometimes it can be two weeks. Mm -hmm. Depends on the given situation. Everything has to be customized. Anyone who's looking for rules and fast answers like that... Mm -hmm. Is going, in fact, it helps us to win pitches. So when a firm says something like, has to be a half hour, and we hear that that happened in the pitch before we go in, mm -hmm. and we're usually asking for a lot of intel from the client as much as they would give us before we go in. I love going last, by the way. Um, we use that against them. And, and we go through a scenario before we give our pitch and our ideas mm -hmm. of what we just heard that someone else told them so they can trust us more than that. How, how these days can you actually work out whether to respond or not? You know, sometimes the best response is actually silence, you know. Um, how, how do you take those judgments? Because they've got to be done so quickly, haven't they? And, um, you know, we've seen with United Airlines, we've seen with Nike and, you know, all sorts of brands um, where sometimes actually a little bit of thought and consideration or even just not responding is, is the best response. That's another example of something we use in a pitch. So... My philosophy, as you guys have learned over the years, isn't necessarily uh, a traditional philosophy. My philosophy is any opportunity you have to fill a void of information that many times reaches millions of people and has a value of a ballpark of fifty dollars to $100,000 worth of value and a lawyer or a general rule like that pops up that you shouldn't say anything, Here's an example of filling the gap. We're currently researching the situation. We will be back to you soon with further information. If you don't say that, they're going to assume all You're kinds of things. That's yeah. right? oh, true. We are the contact for you to get in touch with, but we'll be in touch with you soon with more. That alone fills a gap. When the media and all kinds of other stakeholders and stock prices are going up and down, when they say they're not ignoring anything, and they're not saying that they're guilty by not responding either. They're taking the time to thoroughly investigate it and come back with an answer. And you can be even more direct than that by saying, 
We're not going to answer within five seconds just because you want to. We're not going to answer today just because you want to. We know that's part of your job, media and other stakeholders, to get the answer. We're going to do a thorough job for our client. We'll be in touch soon. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, you, you didn't mention any clients then. Um, I did not. No. Are you going to? But I could tell you that, uh, <laughs> I, well, I'll give you an tell example. Tell us a story over the uh, last uh, 25 years of a notable client or something, an individual that you can talk about. I'll give you an example by saying this. Um, there are clients that are in the Trump mess, we'll call it, that somehow have had mud splattered on them because in some way, shape, or form, they've been associated with Donald Trump in business, for example, before he became president. We have several corporations that are involved with that. As a result of that, part of our job is to watch these hearings and analyze them and give feedback as to what could potentially be happening to our clients in the midst of it. There are names being brought up. There are organizations being brought up. There's information that's coming from it that is not only political, but it's affecting corporate brands and uh, reputations. Um, and we're not the only firm that's doing that, but we're we're in the mix. Yeah, we'll get into that when we talk about the yeah. Cohen testimonies. Just finally, you, you had a short spell at Publicis, didn't you? As, I did. As, so talk, talk us through that. That was... Um, very different, I would imagine, but a, a, a great insight into a holding company. What, would, what did you learn there? So I had an opportunity uh, to put the business on hold. I've always been advocating for diversity and inclusion. A big job opened up within Publicis, the third largest advertising conglomerate in the world. Uh, and I hoped that it was the right fit. Uh, to be short and confidential, it was the wrong fit. Um, so external to that, I'll give you a scenario for anyone looking for a job. If it doesn't match your ethics, if it doesn't match your morality and decision-making, if you're not comfortable, you probably shouldn't stay. We'll talk more about that diversity in the industry as we, in, in the newsy items because uh, you know, I suspect, suspect that's got something to do with that and we can talk about it in the abstract. But uh, yeah, um, good stuff, Mike. Great stories and we, we, we enjoy seeing your regular appearances on media. Do you... Do you have to work hard at that, or is it basically once they've got you on their speed dial, you, you just sort of get those appearances? And, and does that help your business? Um, Tremendously. Yeah, in terms of... Since 94, uh, when I left Burson Marsteller, Hill and & Alton, and uh, MCI before starting my own first shop, I realized that those global brands help bring in business. What they taught us, those big companies and, and firms, is that you probably should not have your own brand. Well, the only reason why they didn't want you to have your own brand is they didn't want you to leave and have a bigger brand or compete against theirs. So I knew that that was a tool that was extremely important. We're talking to our clients about it. Some in our business shy away from it. I think it's the one of the biggest tools within the arsenal because a, a potential client is able to look at video and read articles as I'm examining on the spot, like you guys are going to ask me today, how would you handle it? Yeah, yeah, that's the... Most of your appearances revolve around that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, Frank, let's get into the newsy items. Uh, Oscars weekend, fascinating Oscars this year. Um, some great moments in the uh, on the evening. What was your favorite moment? Well, was it Lady Gaga gazing dreamily? <laughs> she she sure eyes? was, starting rumors all over the internet. Yeah, and, uh, you know, of course, we have some colleagues who were disappointed Bradley Cooper didn't win the Oscar this year. Which colleague? I shouldn't, I shouldn't name names, should I? So, um, but it was, you know, it, it, it was, uh, I kind of liked it better without a host, if I'm being honest. I yeah. thought it went by more quickly. Didn't and it, it was, no. What were the ratings? The ratings, the ratings were, were up, up from last year, but still the second lowest. 
So, yeah. you know, up from last year. So, um, but I thought the three comedians that kicked it off were great. Um, I thought it was a more short and shorter and sweeter show than in past years. So, yeah, happy um, to see Spike Lee win. Yeah, I well, was. that's I, I was I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> I was born in Brooklyn. Love and hate on the hands. It, it's stunning to think he hadn't won one before. Yeah, because he, um, she's got to have it do the right thing. Yeah. Were groundbreaking genre, new genre type yeah. films, really, weren't they? They were fantastic films back in the days. So, it's a bit like Scorsese. He never won uh, an Oscar for some of his greatest films, did he? Mm. And then sometimes you end up winning for maybe a film that's not your best. I'm not saying Black Klansman is it's a good, it's a really good film, but uh, it was good to see him win. And uh, it, that was the one film that I didn't see before the ceremony that I thought I might want to see Excellent afterwards. Film. So, yeah, that's no, really good. And if Spike were here, he would say that the reason why he didn't win in the past and the reason why we are shocked that some things are happening in 2019 and almost 2020 has a correlation to the other issue we're going to talk about soon, which is diversity and inclusion, yeah. which is unless you write your own history, unless you write your own film, unless you direct your own product, it won't happen. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Oscars So White was, it got to a ridiculous stage, didn't it? And But this did feel like a much more diverse Oscars. I mean, what, what did you make of it? Yeah, Spike wasn't thrilled by the, the, win, the best film decision, was he? Well, he's going to be over the top <laughs> and make sure that everything is from the perspective of as black as, and, and as powerful as it can be. And, and he has the right to have that positioning. Um, there are many people that love that film. Um, but to your point, it was a concerted effort to make sure there was a platform and visuals and stars who represented our country from a diverse perspective. And I think people enjoyed it more. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the, the name is escaping me, the Egyptian actor who won uh, the Freddie Oh, um, Rami yeah, Malek. Rami's great Malek. speech. Uh, he might be mispronouncing his name. And, uh, yeah. You know, getting the opportunities in America, and um, you know, doing doing a great job on including that my colleagues here. Yeah, to my absolutely, left. absolutely. I thank you all for giving me the opportunity to spend that time with you. I'm sure you're all thrilled as well, <laughs> Frank. We did some stories about people, you know, how the PR teams kind of set up and operate in that Oscars environment. It's quite interesting. Yeah. And, that, and what was this? You mentioned the CIA earlier. What, was, what do you think of their tweets? It was would, would exactly you, covert ops. Would you it? have advised them to do that? No, I wouldn't. No, okay. <laughs> it was like, was just, they were talking about it as being a recruitment thing, but I, I was just thought, is that really old Look, brand? We, we, <laughs> we gave them their side of the story, and so, you know they made some interesting points, but I, I still think it came off flat, unless, yeah. especially on social media, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we went behind the scenes with a fashion PR firm. Yeah, really interesting. If you take a look at our website, um, the firm is called ITB. They're a part of Rogers and Cohen. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize when they think about what agencies in the industry we cover, what they do is um, this sort of red carpet work. And it's really, it's really interesting. And, and I, didn't, I almost just said these kids, but like the, the young professionals at an agency like this really work hard over the whole weekend. 
um, and, and they're just rushing around getting, you know, dealing with stylists, designers, the whole nine yards. So it's a really interesting And piece. when they talked about the jewelry yeah. that is rented and you saw some of the jewelry on display, 25,000 bucks worth and what have you, yes. and probably more. They should be traveling crazy. with security. Well, it's, sure. it's, yeah. it is a, it's an excellent point because there are many facets of our industry that people need to be reminded, especially the young folks, as far as opportunity, that there are hundreds of specialties mm -hmm. in public relations. Yeah. And most people, including some of the leaders, <laughs> don't know all of them. And it's an excellent opportunity for yeah. you guys to highlight them in that way. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad we did. It was an interesting uh, story. It's good fun, yeah. and the social media part of it as well is, is fascinating. Hellman's got a nice free plug. It did. From the British actress. It did. Who it was, uh, was the latest person to make sure that Glenn Close didn't win Best, best Actress? <laughs> what, is, what does she need to do to win? To win? But uh, she she made a great speech, actually, didn't yeah. she? Uh, well, was it her? I can't No, it wasn't her who mentioned Hellman's. It was, it was uh, brought up Amy at the Poehler. beginning by Amy Poehler. Yeah, that's right. And, um, yeah, there was this nice surprise for them. Yeah, yeah, very nice much surprise so. For them. But then you've got to be ready to take advantage of it yeah. with your social media team. And we did a piece after the Super Bowl looking at the social media real mm -hmm. life real-time team so yeah good fun and um yeah I, I haven't seen all the films yet but it certainly made me want to go to see them let's talk about diversity and inclusion i mean that dni phrase we now have chiefs of dni you know we yeah. have uh in a lot of agencies and a lot of companies but we had a an op-ed from lynn applebaum who's a pr professor at ccny who who's suggesting renaming that diversity and investment rather than diversity and inclusion because without the investment, you're not going to get the inclusion. And I guess, Mike, that's something you've had strong opinions on over the years. And, and, and I, I don't know, what, what did you make of Lynn's uh, point of view? Well, if Lynn were my client, I would say that uh, for all those who push inclusion when diversity for decades and generations has been the only term they would be upset with her to change it uh, to investment. But it, it's a great way of highlighting an important point. Uh, I would say it differently um, because we don't talk about the majority, for example, being an investment. So why would you be talking about women and, and other facets of society as an investment? To me, it's a duh. Number one, we teach everyone today that if you don't measure it, it doesn't matter. So then we say, shh, don't release your diversity data. Well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Uh, what we're really saying is the leaders are very comfortable with doing a CYA strategy, which is the minimum. Um, if you started giving CYA scholarship, for, for cover your ass, ASS. Right. And, um, <laughs> Mike, it's PG-13. <laughs> and, uh, and no, this is an important issue. If you care about young people and you care about the profession and you truly believe that uh, the citizens, consumers – and stakeholders should be mirroring in the communities in which you operate, right? Then we have a huge crisis in our business. I would tell everyone, and I have for more than 25 years that I've been on a pro bono basis talking about this issue and doing studies and PowerPoints and meeting with leaders of firms and, and corporations. It goes in one ear and out the other, unfortunately, over all these years because we're still doing the same thing. Slightly better, but still basically. Don't you think the same things thing. have improved, Mike? I mean, I, no, I, I don't. You know, we spoke before about our forty under forty group, which is the next, the next la layer of leaders. You know, and it's the most diverse group 
I've ever seen in my nine years at PR Week. And a fantastic group and really talented people who are going to be the you know the next generation mm. of leaders if they stay in the business. What, is, what we, so, uh, but what how we do don't you... have a good track record of is retaining people that we're investing in because they don't make it to the top. When you say the business, are you talking strictly about PR or the greater marketing world? The greater marketing world. First okay. of all, if you were to ask me, what's the best way to fix this? Mm-hmm. Number one, it's not going to come within our industry. There are major corporations who've been doing DNI for many years before this, and there are clients. So if you really want to fix the problem, and we're smart people, so if you're not covering your butt, and you're really thinking about a fix, right? You listen to your clients who 30 years ago had a DNI mm-hmm. survey done, and 30 years ago were told, you know, Dick Parsons at Time Warner, for example, I remember to this day, he first came in as CEO and said, new rules, everything's going to be measured. You're going to be more people that look like me here, and I want to know if there's anyone working in this company, I don't care if you're number two in sales in the world, he said, mm-hmm. you're not going to work here. And then guess what? Suddenly you heard, did you hear? So-and-so thought he was going to be here forever. Mouthing off behind the CEO's back. Pff, I'm never doing that. So fired. Gone. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing any of that but in so our industry. You, you mentioned uh, Dick Parsons over at, at Time Warner. Mm-hmm. What industries do ha, have done diversity and inclusion well, in your opinion? You know, like has finance I'd like to answer no. no. I'd like to answer it a different way. Mike, if you are looking for the best practices approach to DNI, where can we find examples? And the answer is, and I've showed it to you guys, and I've shown it to a lot of people, the McKinsey studies, two of them, have come back with how to build mm-hmm. a corporation, right, the right way. And it said, from intern to board, you're seeking to put various things in place. And when you do, and there are some corporations that have, their studies came back and said, you make one-third more money. This isn't that. That's so business, business, right? Business so when a CEO and a board hears you can make one-third more money, the only thing that should be stopping you is if you're a racist and you're prejudiced. Because if anyone told you as a CEO, I got a way that you can make one-third more money, you jump on it. Right, right. But get it. But, but to my question, yes. what other industries have have? It's not industry-wide. It's yeah. corporation by corporation-wide. Okay. And that's why I, I say to everyone, yeah. Read the McKinsey studies. They are the Bible, in my opinion, right, but of if, doing this directly. And I bring that up that way because if you read like the Bloomberg's of the world and you read the, the business media out there, you read a lot about uh, D&I initiatives in the finance world, for instance. You know, do you see those as being more effective? D&I in the finance world, based on my experience, and I've worked on some crises and I've worked with some corporations, I've worked with some head funds, banks, mm-hmm. major corporations in finance who have among the worst, as worst as us, advertising and PR in finance, okay? Mm-hmm. There are some light bulbs, we call them. Look at something glow. There's one or two people or sprinkles within the industry that they point to. But there's nowhere close to, for example, those that are at the VP or above level within these organizations. Or anywhere near, for example, the demographics of New York City. This is the capital of capital. So when you tell a corporation... That's on Wall Street. That's the backbone of this entire state, not just the city, if you understand economics, right? This city has almost three-quarters people of color. They are graduating from college for decades. You can find, don't say you can't find any. There are people graduating in finance from NYU, Baruch, every school. There's more than a dozen colleges right here. If you have a passion for diversity and inclusion, 
like a firm like Verizon, I remember being in the 90s in a meeting, we talked about Dick Parsons, Ivan Seidelberg, white Jewish guy from Brooklyn, who told the story about playing stickball with his friends. And he put a picture up of who his friends were. He was the only white guy there. And he said, similar to Dick, new rules. We are based here. We have smart people in this region. We're going to build this company from the ground up here and making sure that diversity is a big part of it. Now, today, the uh, Verizon is at the cutting edge of diversity and inclusion. Hmm. You don't look for the PR division. Stop looking in our industry. When you're failing, don't try and create something from scratch here. Look at excellent examples for decades who've been doing it the right way. So when you hear a CMO from Verizon say, this is what we've been doing for more than 25 years, you need to listen. If that's your firm, you guys should hold them accountable and say, who has the global account for Verizon? Who has the national account for Verizon? What are all the PR firms that work for Verizon? Hold them accountable, put a microphone in front of their face and say, what are your numbers? Well, the um, clients do have a role to play because they can make it a condition of working with them. And Verizon's Verizon doing that. Done. Uh, Toro Neptune was at Verizon. He's gone to Lenovo. Yes. He's doing that at Lenovo now. We've seen Antonio Lucio at HP doing it. That is surely when, I mean, um, do you do you agree that the, the client side of the PR profession is, is more diverse than the agency side? That's always yeah. been, seems But when to we be... say the client side, I like to describe it as corporations. Some yeah. people call them marketers. Some The Companies, corporations, yeah. the businesses. yes, the businesses have been doing it better than us for decades. Mm -hmm. Any CEO, every one of them in the top 20 firm understands that. Mm -hmm. To your point, there are more clients, corporations, that are holding. Edelman got slapped hard a couple years ago, right? By who? Their client, their, you guys wrote about it, you tell me. Their client said, you can't do this anymore. Sean, who was it? That was HP. HP, USAA, Verizon, P&G, Lenovo. There's more than a dozen corporations that we have as examples now that are doing some great things. Stop looking for the rules within our industry. Use the corporate clients as the examples because they're doing it much better than us. And if you truly want to have change, you need to do more of what you're doing. So I guess I guess then the question is, you, you mentioned this handful of corporations that are doing this. Why aren't more corporations doing this? Because they, because, you want to be honest about the answer? Here's the honest answer. Because the white male, mostly white male leaders who are in positions of power, who are in their 60s, 70s, and some of them 80s, don't want the change. That's why. They will say things like, and I've been in meetings with them, mm -hmm. they will say things like, Mike, we're doing some good. Some good. And I will say then, you know, I have a memo from 1955 that I got from working on a crisis in this industry in advertising. And it said Negro problem. And it was a $500 scholarship to go to a traditionally black college and university. 1955. What year is it? And then we have people in our industry who start a fellowship for $1,000 or $2,000 with an internship. They know that's not the answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you a it's question. The in, um, in the UK, the uh, advertising industry body has set targets for 2020 that all the major holding companies have signed up to for diversity, not just ethnic diversity, gender as well. The companies in the States won't do that because they fear getting sued, I, I assume. 
Um, why do you think that is? I mean, why the same holding companies are doing it in the UK, but they're not doing it? You were in Kubasis, you know, you got a flavor of that. Why are they not doing more then? The leaders in Europe are feeling more pressure. Here's the irony. The civil rights movement started here many years before Europe ever even had a real taste of the influx of immigration that they currently have, right? And we were supposed to be the example for them since the 50s and 60s of what's going on. Now in our industry, it's just the opposite. They're feeling more pressure and wanting to do the right thing. And there are people here in the United States that are holding things back. I have gotten feedback, especially some of the protests that I was involved with as you guys are aware, a couple of years ago, I was protesting various things. I was on an organization that was considered the top in our business, the seminar, the only person sitting at a table. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't look at young people in the eye. I can't talk to friends who are mid-level or were about to be senior level, who are fully qualified, and hear the excuses and the lack of solutions with very intelligent people who have the ability to put the solution on the table who don't have the intestinal fortitude to do the right thing. Any conversation in our business or any conversation in any sector of society that talks about diversity and inclusion and 95% of it is entry-level people, it is insulting to those people who have been struggling for many years, who are stuck in the middle. I'm going to be blunt. We all know Kim Hunter. Let's give an example. He had his 25th anniversary of his scholarship. He's doing amazing things to help young people. It is still a relevant question to ask Kim. Kim, after 25 years of multiple millions of dollars of money that came in, how many of those people 25 years later are running an organization within the top 20 firms, are running an organization within the corporations? Are, the answer is none. None. Well, we're coming up to our... Zero. We're coming up to our agency report. We'll ask those questions of the leaders. Oh, we don't, we're running out of time, and I don't want to miss out on those last two mm. items. Frank, Robert Kraft, uh, he got himself in a certain amount of bother. Um, you could say that. He got himself in an uncomfortable situation. The owner situation of the New Florida. England Patriots, of course. Yes. It uh, turns out uh, he has been uh, accused of uh, visiting a uh, house of ill repute, shall we say, in Florida the day of the AFC championship. Um, he has pled not guilty to the charges in Florida, um, but a high-profile guy in a situation he'd rather not be in. So what would you be telling him? This is, this is a great example of the difference between the court of law and court of public opinion. So he's already been tried, mm -hmm. some would say. There's still more to be had in the court of public opinion. People had an opinion instantly when he got arrested. Then they learned that he was doing some of these nasties closer to some of the playoffs and other things. There's potential repercussions as an owner in the NFL. There's a morality clause that an owner has as well as a player. Mm -hmm. Ironically, the owners pushed for that. I was involved with it to make sure that Players are held accountable. They say, we too. Well, there's some players that do some things that are unsavory. So the question is, will he have a penalty? Yes, he will with the NFL. But most important, does he have an attorney now who says, look, I don't care what's happened in the court of What, what do you think the penalty is going to be? Well, I... I I mean, is it going to be financial? From a legal, from a legal perspective? Well, I'm, I'm curious if you think it's going to be a financial penalty or draft picks or, or what are we talking? Well, the first thing is he broke the law. There's an allegation right. that he potentially broke the law. So his attorney thus far is saying he's pleading not guilty and they're going to have to prove it. 
So if they prove it with a videotape that it's him, he's going to have to have a criminal penalty and potentially a civil penalty in the league in which he works. A videotape I'd prefer not to see, actually. Well, me either. I think there's going to be repercussions. <laughs> but, but what would your advice be, Mike? Yeah. We're running my, out of time. My, so. my, my advice to him would be that it's better for him to tell the truth and say, look, this is something I did. I'm not going to do it again. Mm. I'm embarrassed that it happened. I'm embarrassed that there's a videotape potentially of me if he knows that there's a videotape. Um, and to take accountability for his actions. Talk to his wife, or talk to his girlfriend, talk to his family. Make sure that whatever it is, that he is comfortable moving forward. Because he's going to have this question during the season that's coming. Mm. And others, if he simply says it wasn't me, and then he gets busted for it. Yeah, so that's the number one tenet, isn't it, really, of reputation as, as being truthful. We're getting um, some T-shirts made for the firm. You know what the phrase is going to be? Go on. Own your blank. Blank. S H exclamation point T. Okay. <laughs> we keep blanking out words today. Good, don't we? good. Yeah, we do. Good, good, good advice from the reputation doctor. Let's talk about the Cohen testimony, Frank. Yeah. What did um, you make of it? Uh, uh, President Trump's former. We're doing this in two minutes, by the way. This story. Sink. Talk really quickly. Um, testified in front of the House yesterday was uh, Michael Cohen and uh, basically accused the president of being a racist, a con man, an unsavory individual, all of the above. Um, said he doesn't have any direct evidence of collusion with the Russians during the campaign, but could imagine such a thing happening. And um, Probably enough, that was the only piece that President Trump. Uh, yeah. mentioned in his press conference, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, calling every, all the other pieces lies. I yeah. think that Cohen's being truthful now. Mm -hmm. I think that he's going to go down in history, similar to some others during the Nixon era, as to what historically we'll look back and see what it is he said and what happened afterwards. And I think the biggest concern for the president should be not only his own actions, which he's saying, hey, I didn't touch it, I have other people, they're not going to get me. When they start coming after your kids and your son-in-law, to try and make a deal in the end for you to own your own stuff, we'll see what happens. Yeah, maybe they need a T-shirt. <laughs> they need um, a T-shirt. <laughs> um, Good <laughs> point. <laughs> um, maybe we'll send them one for free. Finally, you, you must have known that you've worked in New York uh, in decades. You must have come across President Trump and Michael Cohen and various other characters uh, over the years. Yes. <laughs> the question is <laughs> anything you wanted to share with us any any uh observations uh i met uh now president trump then donald trump for the first time in 1988 and when i met him my first thought was wow this guy is different okay and then I started hearing friends that were working for his organization who I went to grad school with, and then they told me inside stories of what was happening. And one of the things I heard all the way back to 88 is he doesn't like to pay vendors or contractors of any kind. That, that, he sues yeah. and he does not want to pay. Yeah, that, I mean, and that seems to be, he's possibly not alone in that in the construction industry. And, and what about Cohen? Have you bumped into Cohen over the years? Only a couple of times, nothing yeah. really directly. Uh, I remember being at an event with him. I, I remember being at a meeting with a lot of other people that he was in. But uh, you hear a lot of stories from reporters about, you know, the the voicemails and the legendary loud phone calls and things like that. Well, he said just recently, 
what his role was and the examples, and I believe that they're true. Mm. Let's uh, draw the show to an end before we get sued. Um, <laughs> Mike, <laughs> we know who to come to to uh, save our, uh, to own our uh, SHIT. But it's uh, been great chatting to you as always. Always Thanks, uh, interesting. Thanks for coming on. Uh, quickly, uh, don't forget our PR Week Awards on March the 21st, the Oscars of the PR industry. We are celebrating our 20th awards. So it's going to be a real bumper night. Fantastic night. PR Week's Global Awards in London on May the 21st. And a pat on the back to us. We've been shortlisted for a Neil Award for the best media brand for editorial excellence, which we're very proud of. So That's well terrific. done to the whole team, Frank, Sean, Mickey, and everybody out on the newsroom floor beavering away. So we're, let's hope we win. We want to win, don't we, Frank? Yes, beavering away. <laughs> Oh, let's not go yes. to talk about beavers. Yeah, that's a that's a that, that uh, that's a, a newsroom story that will, needs to stay in the newsroom. All right, <laughs> it's time to end this show. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.